MSW Media. Republicans are trying to make it harder for us to vote. Will they be able to steal the election? Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name's Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a legal analyst. And I'm joined by my friend Patty Vasquez, the host of The Patty Vasquez Show, who joins us regularly on this podcast. This episode is brought to you by our patrons. With special thanks to Michelle Dew, Andrew Donnelly, James Frohmeyer, Jay Gelhausen, Jamie and Izzy Gordon, Patrick, Steve Hungsberg, Ari Lamstein, Shada Wachitsky, and an anonymous patron. You too can become a patron on our website, ontopicpodcast.com. Just click the support link at the top of the page. So, Patty, I have to say, this election, it, it, it it's, uh, I think it's giving a lot of people anxiety. And I think, you know, for me personally, it, I, I'm very apprehensive about what's going to happen. You know, this has seemed like four years of a, of a nightmare, three and a half years, whatever it's been, of just a pure nightmare. Um, one thing after another. Scandal after scandal, crisis after crisis, outrage after outrage. It could all end soon or not. And I have to say I'm concerned that one way or the other, uh, Trump is going to use this as a way to tear apart our country. Well, and we are so torn apart as it is. And and it really feels like body blow after body blow when we've taken so much this year. You know, just looking around my community and – you know, the businesses that are struggling and people blaming each other when ultimately in my point of view is that it's, it's really come from a lack of strong leadership that has led us to this. And he, I mean, just, I mean, the idea that he would have a rally in Omaha and they would leave senior citizens stranded in the cold to walk and wander in the dark feels exactly how he's been leading this country. Well, yeah. And I think his response to this crisis, this coronavirus crisis, has, I think, been emblematic of his entire presidency. I mean, you have Trump now blaming uh, doctors, you know, with conspiracy theories saying that the doctors get paid more if there's a death from COVID rather than a death from something else, essentially accusing doctors of inflating the number of COVID deaths in order to line their own pockets, which is absolutely false. But that's that's the Trump playbook is, you know, create excuse, lie about the, the failures that he has, lie about the problems that he's caused, blame others, take no responsibility, try to distract uh, one thing after another. And I have to say, this is a man who does not seem to me to want to accept failure, accept defeat you have to believe that he's going to burn things down on the way out. So, you know, if he does lose, 
Uh, I can imagine him, you know, saying the election was rigged, trying to undermine faith in the system, trying to do all sorts of things on the way out. Uh, and if he, and if he, you know, wins, and I'll put that in quotation marks, it could be because of various, you know, shenanigans, uh, potential Supreme Court ruling, um, you know, and if he, you know, if there are there, if there are questions about the legitimacy of the election. We all lose uh, because that ultimately is at the core of what the American experiment is about. Which is why I really am praying for a resounding victory for Joe Biden so that there isn't even a question. I mean, I know that he will, you know, whatever sort of, uh, as you mentioned, shenanigans he tries to pull. But I'm hoping that if it's a, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying that we're going to have a Reagan versus Mondale evening, but that would be really nice. Man, I'll tell you, I I remember those days, um, and it has been a long time. I don't, you know, we have not had that sort of election in quite some time. Even when, for example, Barack Obama won in two thousand and eight, um, it was not quite that level, right, of a landslide. But you know what, I I will say that I am hoping for for the good of the country is that this does not turn into another election two thousand because. You know, I still have a lot of memories of that election. I was in law school at the time, and that election came down to 500 and something odd votes in Florida. And, you know, ultimately a Supreme Court decision that was understandably uh, attacked as partisan. And I think that if the names of the parties were switched in that case, the Bush versus Gore case, you could imagine justices completely changing their position. I mean, I don't think anyone really believes that Clarence Thomas or William Rehnquist would have uh, tried to stop the counting of ballots if it would have benefited George W. Bush. And, you know, if we have that sort of thing in this country after a a nomination of yet another justice, uh, I think it could just, it could really tear this country apart even further than it, has and and really strike at the legitimacy of the you know you know of our government and our system of um, in our system of uh, of elections and our system of laws. Well, and that's the thing is the threat threat to democracy and the difference. You know, there obviously there are many differences between now and two thousand, but we didn't have a leader in office who was whipping people into a frenzy and pointing fingers at journalists at activists, at groups of people, and, oh my God, saying, we're going to, hey, don't worry, suburban women, we're going to put your husbands back to work. I had to look at the calendar and see where I was, because I was <laughs> pretty sure that we were in 2020. Yeah, I have to say, um, you know, Trump definitely seems to uh, have, have uh, time warped from an earlier age, an age where um, racism, sexism, um, was much more, you know, was much, much more uh, open and blatant and encouraged by our leadership. I have to say, you know, we, we, I think a lot of us were hoping after the election of Barack Obama that we were moving in a direction where, you know, racism was going to be, at the very least, something that there was, uh, you know, unanimous agreement amongst everyone in in our society that wasn't on a radical fringe uh that that is something that is completely unacceptable 
And Trump seems to be doing everything he can to try to give voice to racists and white supremacists, to give them comfort, to recognize them, and to make give them a sense of legitimacy that I, I didn't think they would have in my lifetime. Oh, no doubt. I, I would like to make racists ashamed again. Because uh, it used to be where, you, you know, they, that they didn't feel safe to to really behave. And it's not just the, uh, you know, whether it's on social media, but it's even interpersonal reactions. You see video after video over the last four years of people in grocery stores telling them to speak English or go back where you came from. or And now with, you know, people just yelling, black lives don't matter because they just are so incredibly emboldened by the garbage in the White House. Yeah, I have to say, you know, what what makes me concerned is also just these efforts to discourage um, minorities to vote. Uh, there's uh, been uh, ample evidence that in, that uh, during the last election, there was, um, cam- you know, essentially one of the elements or one of the aims of the Trump campaign was to discourage African-Americans from voting. So I have to say this time around, for example, the efforts to which we've discussed before uh, undermine the post office, for example, to lie to voters and tell them that vote by mail was, you know, unsafe and a fraud and so forth. It really um, it really just absolutely infuriates me because that's really at the core of what this country is about. And, you know, I I will tell you, even for myself, Patty, you know, I requested a vote by mail ballot, but I drove it myself to a drop box at an election site because I didn't want to trust just putting it in the mail, given all of the nonsense that Trump has done with the post office. And that's the thing that I, I just I don't understand how people on the right believe that protecting democracy means taking away the voice of the people. It's the complete opposite. Well, as we've had some Republicans argue recently that we're not a democracy. I mean, Senator Mike Lee argued that recently, a Republican. And and I think their view is essentially, you know, in the census, let's not count undocumented people, even though the Constitution says otherwise. Um, Let's gerrymander districts to give people less of a voice. Let's have restrictive um, reg- voter registration and voter ID laws to make it harder for people to get registered to vote and to ultimately vote on election day. And let's make it as inconvenient as possible for certain people to vote. Not people like me who have a car, but maybe somebody who doesn't have a car. Let's have only one drop box per county, for example, like they have in Texas. And, you know, to me, regardless, you should be, regardless of whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, that to me is just cuts to the core of what America is about. If you're an American, you should be for people voting. And if you really think your ideas are better, your candidate is better, you should be able to trust the voters to to be you know to convince them that your candidate is better. Right. Yeah. This is uh it is it's going to be harmful, and I think it's going to take us years, if not decades, to repair the damage that has been done. Well, I have to say, Patty, I really thought a lot about what what would be the right episode to have right before the election. It was something I debated myself for days because there's been different art, you know, different stories that have broken. And I really I really thought it's important for us in the run up the election to talk about 
the sort of the election issues that are going to be raised. Because I worry, as I said before, about what will happen, you know, in this the aftermath of this election, given what Trump has said. I really am hoping we don't have a replay of 2000. So I want to bring in our guest uh, uh, who's been on our podcast before, Trevor Potter. He is the former chairman of the United States Federal Election Commission. Uh, He also, prior to that, was general counsel to John McCain's two presidential campaigns. He's also the founder and president of the Campaign Legal Center, a nonprofit organization which works in the areas of campaign finance, elections, political communication, and government ethics. So now let's bring in Trevor Potter. Welcome back to the podcast, Trevor. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. You know, a lot, I think a lot of voters are concerned about whether or not their ballots are going to be counted. I know for myself personally, I was telling Patty before you joined Trevor, I actually drove my mail-in ballot to a drop box at a polling site to make sure that it got there, you know, not on time and, and reached the destination what 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 did what do you as an as an expert on these issues? What's your message to voters who are concerned that their ballots aren't going to be counted? Well, the first thing to say is, if you are a voter who hasn't voted yet, uh, it is too late to count on the mail to get your ballot in. Do not mail it in. That doesn't mean you can't vote on the absentee ballot you're holding, but you should take it to a drop box. You should take it to a local election office. You should take it to an early voting site or last possibility, just take it with you in person on Tuesday and hand it to them. Uh, You can either hand it voted and they will accept that, or you can turn it in and say, I decided not to vote absentee. I'm here to vote in person. Uh, So one of the pieces of information out there that's really startling is that as of today, it looks as if 90 million Americans have already voted. Uh, Last time around, there were only about 135 or 140 million Americans in total. So uh, we are well on our way to voting. And those votes, those 90 million uh, are in uh, and they will be counted. People who vote over this weekend in early voting places, their votes go into the machine. When I voted early, the machine says, your vote has been registered. Uh, The people who want to vote on Tuesday, the good news is that the line should be a lot shorter and the polling places less crowded because so many people have voted early and are therefore not going to be the sort of thronging polling places that, that we we're concerned about. The final thing I'd say in terms of reassuring people is we have really dedicated election officials. Things have been going smoothly for the 90 million people who have voted so far. And their job is to make sure that every vote that arrives in time is counted. Uh, Now, if your vote is, is out in the mail now, there's some states where you can monitor that. You can actually go online and see how it's doing and has it reached its destination. Uh, other, if your vote is in the mail and you can't follow it, you know, you've got either until Tuesday or for all those states that allow votes to be counted, if they arrive after election day, provided they're postmarked before you will have some extra days for it to be counted. So 
I think the answer is don't worry, but if you haven't voted already, uh, go do so in person over the weekend or on Tuesday. You know, we've heard, I think, uh, uh, stories and uh, about the possibility that there might be, a, for example, let's say Trump might be ahead on election night with a lot of votes left to be counted, mail-in ballots and so forth, and might declare victory before those mail-in ballots are counted. And there's been also, I'd say, some discussion recently about when it is that ballots are counted and when it is that states determine who won the election in in that particular state. Can you clear that up for us and, and tell us how realistic this concern is or how, how real this, this concern should be about uh, uh, you know, the, the process of tabulating votes being stopped. Sure. I can, I can try to at least. <laughs> uh, so the reality is that in every election uh, it's a multi-day process. What we are used to hearing sort of the day after the election uh, of, you know, it, it looks like so-and-so won or, the networks have declared so-and-so the winner. That is based on the ballots that have already been counted, plus projections of you know, how things uh, have been going. If, if someone is winning 70-30 and 90% of the ballots are cast, uh, the networks will project that person the winner on the basis that the remaining ballots are not going to turn up to be 100 to 0 the other way and make it a whole lot closer. But those are just projections. They're estimates. And this year, I think the media is now well aware that this will be a different election because of COVID and therefore because of the large number of ballots that are not being cast on election day, that were cast ahead of the election. They're all lawful ballots, whether they are early voting on machines or they were mailed in. As long as they arrive in time and they're from a registered voter with the, you know, the information required on a paper ballot, like an address or a signature to verify or something, they will be counted. So what we're hearing is the suggestion that in a few states, and it actually isn't that many, but they're key states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, those states uh, will first count the ballots that are cast on election day. And only after that will they start to count all the ballots, the literally hundreds of thousands of ballots, if not more, that were sent in by mail because those are states that forbid election officials from starting to process or count mail-in ballots until election day. And in some counties in Pennsylvania, they have said, we're going to start counting mail ballots the day after the election, because all of our clerks are going to be busy on election day with in-person voting. So what that has led to is the possibility, and I think more than the possibility, because Trump has been pretty open about it, that he is going to be out there saying, on election day, I won because there were more people who voted for me than Biden on Tuesday, November 3rd, in person, in polling places. That's possible. 
Uh, that will, of course, be only a fraction of the total number of lawful votes cast in Pennsylvania and to be counted. They will begin counting all the rest of the ballots the next day. So if Trump wants to, he can say, hey, I won. They should stop counting. That's a whole lot like at the end of the first inning saying, hey, we had two home runs. It's two to zero. Game's over. We should stop because I'm ahead. It doesn't work that way. Legally, all the ballots that were received by the deadline will be counted. It will take a while. Now, that's Pennsylvania. That is not the national norm, that it will take days to count those ballots. There are other states that are used to having large numbers of mail-in or absentee ballots, and their procedures are to start processing and counting, feeding the ballots into the machines when they arrive. So they've been doing that for weeks now. Arizona, Florida, North Carolina are doing that. They have been counting ballots. And on election night, they will give us pretty much full returns. They won't be complete. They won't be certified. They will still have ballots arriving in some of those states. North Carolina allows for the receipt of ballots that were voted before the election, but with slow postal service, et cetera, may not arrive until a couple of days after. Those will get counted too. Florida has a rule that says that military and overseas ballots may arrive several days after election day, as long as they were voted before election day or on election day, and those will be counted. But we will know in those states by the day after the election, what the rough totals are. They're not the final absolute certified ones, but it may be we know pretty much who won those states because someone has a substantial lead and the few ballots that are left to be counted aren't enough to change that. So I think all the speculation we're hearing about Trump trying to stop the counting and claim he is ahead on election day uh, first of all, has no legal meaning at all. Um, he can claim anything he wants, but that, you know, saying the sun rises in the West doesn't make it do so. Uh, but further, I think it's only going to be relevant to the political discussion if the election is really close and it looks like Trump is winning all the states he won last time, like Arizona and Florida and North Carolina and so forth. And it is all coming down to those handful of northern states that don't start counting the absentees until after Election Day, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. If that's the case, Trump has, of course, an incentive to say if, he, if he's ahead on Election Day in the votes actually cast in person on Election Day, which he may be because Democrats have been voting much more absentee. Trump has urged Republicans not to. So you can expect the election day voters to be more Republican than the electorate at large. If it's close everywhere else in the country, we're focused on those handful of states and Trump is ahead on election day returns in those states. It's certainly in his interest to say, so we should stop counting now, but that has no legal effect. The counting will go on. Yeah, I think it's it, one important point you make is essentially that a lot of this depends on how close the election is. In other words, in Bush versus Gore back in 2000, the, the election was ultimately 
so close in Florida that it was really within almost what I will say. I'm you don't need to. Uh, I'm not ask you to endorse this, but essentially within a margin of error of sorts. In other words, you know the technology, the voting technology used in Florida at the time was you know was imperfect enough that it was difficult to determine uh, who the winner was, given that the the vote totals were within you know 500 something uh, of one another. Um, but really, that's an unusual okay, uh, situation. And if you don't have a, an election that's that close, particularly in the, as you point out in the electoral college, where it comes down to a particular state, all of this is really not going to uh, you know come into play at all. All of these concerns about vote counting in a particular state. You're absolutely right. I totally agree with you with Florida. It was unique. The the entire election came down to who won Florida. And we couldn't tell who won Florida because it was so darn close. And the reason it's close is because there's a gray area in any election. There are, I mean, reminder of Florida, there were people who voted on the old machines where they were supposed to push the card through and leave an open air circle. Well, some people didn't push it all the way through. So there wasn't an open air circle, but election officials tried to look at it. That was the famous dimpled Chad, which meant was there evidence they tried to push it through but didn't push hard enough? Uh, then there were votes where people circled the name of two candidates and crossed out one. Did that count as a valid vote or not? Normally, these things don't make a difference. But if you're looking at a 500 or 700 vote margin in a state with millions of votes cast, obviously they do. So I, I think it's absolutely legitimate to say that in Florida, it was within the margin of error, and there were errors made by voters all over the place. There may have been errors made by counting officials. There was errors made in ballot design. So it was pretty clear people testified that they voted. They didn't intend to vote for Pat Buchanan, but they thought they were voting for Gore. But the placement of the ballot meant they ended up doing it. So, yeah, Florida was a mess. It is, I think we can say, uh, unique in terms uh, of our history of being a place where one state made all the difference and the election was so close in that one state. So with luck, it doesn't work that way this year, with whatever state it is. Yeah, I have to say this also brings up an important point for everyone to remember. There, the elections in this country are administered at the state and local level. There's not a national, although obviously there is something, you know, Federal Election Commission that you know that you were formerly the chair of, the, the states the states are administering these elections, which is why when when people hear about these Supreme Court decisions and so forth, these are interpretations of state law often. And so what that means is that the mechanism of control that, let's say, the president of the United States has is not direct over how these elections are being administered. No, you're absolutely right. We, we are, in that sense, quite unusual among democracies because most democracies have a centralized election commission centralized rules and it's run out of the capital. We have 50 states with 50 election systems uh, and those all then you know sprinkle down to counties and cities which have their own election boards and so forth. So it really is decentralized. The Federal Election Commission has absolutely nothing to do with running elections. It has to do with campaign finance, the disclosure of money spent in federal elections. It's where candidates file their reports, but it is not a body that runs an election anywhere in the country. Now, 
those are run by the states under rules set by the states unless, and this is important, unless Congress has said otherwise, because the U.S. Constitution says the states shall set the time, place, and manner of the elections unless Congress intervenes and changes what the states have done. So, for instance, we have the Voting Rights Act, which told uh, states in this country they couldn't have a poll tax or uh, a literacy test to prevent black Americans from voting. Even if a state wanted to do that now, they can't because federal law says you can't. But if federal law hasn't established a set of rules, then the states are allowed to figure out how best to administer it themselves. And they're the ones who do the vote counting. They're the ones who certify the election results. They're the ones who deal with initially any uh, recounts and, and contests for, let's say, the members of the House and the Senate. Well, I know our our listeners had question about a specific issue that was arisen, rising in a state, of, and uh, I'll turn it over to Patty for that. Yes, thank you. One of the listeners asks uh, or says, I saw that 24% of mail-in ballots in Dade County, Florida, did not have a signature. What happens to those votes? And could you include Pennsylvania and Michigan in the answer if each state has different uh, rules? Yes. So the answer in Florida is, gosh, I am surprised to hear that it's as high as 24%. That is really disappointing uh, because that means voters weren't reading the instructions. Now, I have voted absentee a number of times. I am a fairly qualified lawyer. I will tell you, I find voting absentee a little complicated. I get my instruction sheet out. I read it. I have to do things in a certain order. Uh, I have to put this in that and then put it in that. And then I have to sign the outer envelope and so forth. But still, to have a quarter of the voters not put a signature on with all the publicity we've had is not, not great. However, the good news is that Florida, like now most states, uh, actually has a procedure for dealing with ballots that arrive either without a signature or uh, where they look at the signature and they say that doesn't look like the one on record, we need to make sure it really came from the voter. Uh, that's an area that my organization, Campaign Legal Center, has been working on for several years, ever since we first discovered in 2018 uh, that the state of Arizona was simply throwing ballots out if there was an incomplete signature or they weren't sure it was the voter's signature. They weren't taking any steps to notify the voter and give them a chance to cure it. And so we sued Arizona and we won. And the state of Arizona now does what Florida will do this year, which is reach out to the voter. And now it depends on what contact information they have on file, whether they're doing it by uh, cell phone or email the, the slowest, obviously, and the least satisfactory is sending them a postcard in the mail. But if all they have is a mailing address, they may end up doing that. So the, the voters should have an opportunity to cure the lack of a signature by coming in and signing the envelope. Uh, I would say to the people in Florida, uh, if they think they might not have put a signature on, they should contact their election board and ask if their ballot is still there? Does it have a missing signature? And if so, they still have time to go in and fix that. In terms of the uh, 
uh, question on, I think there was a question on, you said on Pennsylvania and North Carolina, but I'm not sure what that question was. I think that if, if there are different rules, they're wondering if it's different than what Florida would do with a ballot that doesn't have a signature or doesn't meet whatever. Yes, it is different. This is, this is actually probably the downside of having the 50 state federal system. Every state has their own deals. So in Pennsylvania, um, the good news is that the state Supreme Court and the top election official have said that if everything else is valid about your ballot, and it's just a question about whether your signature matches the one on file, that is not grounds for throwing the ballot out. Because Pennsylvania law says there are a variety of ways that a voter can identify themselves when voting absentee, and that would include, uh, say, their correct address and things like that. And so the state has said, if the only issue with your ballot is we're not sure about the signature, we will go ahead and count the ballot. Now, the bad news in Pennsylvania is if you do not put a signature at all on the ballot, they are not going to contact you and tell you that. If you simply failed to put a signature on, they will not count your ballot and you won't know it. So that, that's a problem. Getting Speaking of Pennsylvania, there's uh, obviously been a, a recent Supreme Court order uh, relating to uh, the state of Pennsylvania, and there have been numerous rulings by the Supreme Court recently, and a, a lot of our listeners have been concerned about the role that the, the Supreme Court is taking in, in, um, in uh, making decisions related to you know the state's administration of of elections i will say that you know typically the supreme court's view is often and there's actually a principle that the supreme court has in in terms of to, uh, not changing the rules uh, the game too close to an election and not having federal courts for example you know create new rules uh close to election time i i'm curious what your read is of the supreme court's recent rulings and whether or not this is something that our listeners should be concerned about. Yeah, I, I think you're right. The, one of the problems in life, of course, is that if you have enough principles, they'll run into each other. Uh, so the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court has a uh, an older case, Anderson v. Burdick, where it said that voters have a right to vote and to have their vote counted, and federal courts should weigh that important right against whatever interest the state is expressing in, let's say, tightening the rules that make it likely that some voters won't be able to vote. And the, that was a decision that expanded voting rights and expanded the role of federal courts in protecting voting rights. You know, the state had to justify why it was that they were closing early polling places or why it was that uh, they weren't counting ballots because the presumption was that we, we, the United States and the federal government, want people to be able to vote. So that's one principle. But then we ran into the principle you mentioned, which comes from a case called Purcell, which was a perfectly you know, sensible view that federal courts should not be interfering in elections at the last minute while voting is already going on because it's confusing to voters and it may complicate the 
vote counting if you change the rules in the middle of the election. So you can see how those might run into each other. Somebody rushes into court and says what the state is doing is wrong and it's going to make it harder for people to vote. And the state says, uh, yes, but we've already started voting. And that, you know, changing the rules now would violate the Purcell principle. So you have to weigh those against each other. I think one way to make sense of what the Supreme Court has been doing this year, and, and I would say led by Justice Roberts in the sense that he has been the swing vote, is his philosophy here is that there shouldn't be a big role for federal courts in elections, that states should determine the rules, the states should decide what rules are going to apply, and they should go ahead and enforce them. And unless they do something that violates federal law or unless they're inconsistent in how they enforce it, the federal court should stay out. So just recently, we had a case out of Wisconsin where a federal judge had said that Wisconsin should allow votes that are lawfully cast before the election but arrive after, late, because of a slow post office, that the state of Wisconsin should count those votes as long as they arrived a couple days uh, after election day, as long as there was proof that they were cast before the election as required. That's a perfectly reasonable judgment by a court, but it was overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court on what I would call the Roberts principle, that it was none of the federal court's business to tell the state of Wisconsin how to run that election the federal judge might have clearly would have made a different policy choice than the state, but the state gets to choose, not the federal judge. So the court there um, continued the, the stay, uh, prohibited the federal judge's ruling from taking effect, and the state will go ahead and it will throw out all ballots five after election day. Then, right after that, we've had these two cases, one out of North Carolina and one out of Pennsylvania, where the state made the opposite choice. Uh, in Pennsylvania, the state Supreme Court said that uh, the state constitution required making it easy to vote, and that included counting ballots that arrive after the election as long as they were clearly cast before the election with a postmark or something like that. And North Carolina did the same thing. There it was its state election board that determined that they would allow votes to arrive after election day if they were and be counted if they were cast before. So here in those states, you had a state decision to do the opposite of what the state of Wisconsin decided. And Roberts agreed with the states, meaning he agreed that this is not something the Supreme Court should get into and overrule, that if that's how North Carolina and Pennsylvania want to conduct their elections, they get to make the choice. The, so that's a pretty consistent principle. Uh, th th I think there's a problem with it, which is it means federal courts are sort of missing an action uh, in terms of protecting voter rights. And if there's a state that doesn't want people to vote and makes it really hard, uh, is that the outcome we want? Because it isn't just the state election. It's an election for president of the United States and, and the Congress. But, but that's the Roberts view, is that basically federal courts should, should leave it to the states. Uh, the, the problem here, which is looming on the horizon, 
is that several justices disagreed with Roberts and they were the conservative justices. Usually it's the liberal justices who say, we think the federal courts should get involved and protect voting rights. Here in North Carolina and Pennsylvania, it was the conservative justices who said, we actually think that North Carolina and Pennsylvania did this wrong when they decided to extend the the deadlines for counting ballots because the federal constitution says the state legislature shall set the rules in the state and the legislature didn't set these rules. They were set in one case by the state Supreme Court and in the other case by the state election commission. So some number of justices, at least three, maybe four, think that only the legislature can actually set the time, place, and manner of elections, and that the state Supreme Court and the state election commission uh, have no role in it and and can't set any of the, the rules. And, and that's a problem in North Carolina and Pennsylvania because the rules were set by, as I said, the Supreme Court in one case and the election commission in another. Uh, those cases could come back to the Supreme Court, in which case this issue will be revived. But for the moment, uh, North Carolina and Pennsylvania are proceeding under the rules that, that they have set and are operating under. That is a very good explanation of those decisions, I will tell you. I, I, well, it's a, comp- it's a complicated series of facts, I think. Yeah, I spent some time reading the North Carolina decision and uh, and the uh, the Pennsylvania uh, order recently that came out, and I, I thought— Boy, this is a complicated thing to simplify. I will say, you know, one thing I did find interesting in the Pennsylvania order, of course, as you mentioned, those conservative justices were um, made a statement that was really unnecessary. It wasn't uh, uh, something that they needed to say, but they went out of their way to say that essentially, you know, they were that they thought that the that the decision by the by the uh, uh, Pennsylvania attorney general to segregate ballots that were that were uh, that were uh, arriving late was uh, necessary because potentially the Republican Party could seek leave later on to revisit this issue. As, as you point out, you know, as you were alluding to, it seems to me that really we could be in in for some sort of, you know, Bush versus Gore 2.0 if the state of Pennsylvania, the entire election came down to the state of Pennsylvania and those ballots were potentially the deciding ballots. You are entirely correct. It is a very scary scenario. Um, we, I think you know, we and uh, the Supreme Court have to hope it doesn't come that way because you're right. They have the states. It's now actually three states, Minnesota, Pennsylvania and North Carolina are all in the same place where uh, they are going to be accepting ballots that are lawfully cast before the election, but arrive afterwards. They're going to segregate them. They're going to count them separately, but presumably we're going to know what the count is. And a Republican challenge to accepting and, 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 and having those ballots be part of the vote total will be at the Supreme Court. Now, if it doesn't matter, if those ballots are very few and there's a winner in those states much bigger than those ballots, then no one will care except law professors and people have to figure out how to run elections in the future. But it will not be a national crisis. 
if those states don't matter because one candidate or the other already has enough electoral votes and doesn't need them, uh, then we won't care. But, but heaven forbid it comes down to those states and they're really close and these ballots are the deciding ballots because then effectively the Supreme Court would be deciding the election by deciding whether these ballots uh, are valid or not. And that would be, I think, an unhappy place for the, for the country and the court. And of course, a vote here that's not been heard from is the brand new justice. Uh, who President Trump said he was putting on the court so she could decide the election. Uh, she's in a terrible spot if uh, she's the deciding vote on this matter. Uh, to start with, she'd have to decide whether to recuse herself or not, which she has so far said, I'm, I'm not deciding that at this time. I'll wait till the issue arises. So it, there is a scenario where this gets very complicated. We just hope it's not going to happen this year. Well, you know, I certainly hope for that. Uh, one one thing that I am wondering about is, you know, there has also been a concern that's been raised regarding whether or not state legislatures could decide if, for example, there's a dispute like in Pennsylvania over ballots uh, to essentially disregard uh, the votes and just have a state legislature appoint electors irrespective of the vote totals of the state. And I'm curious how, whether you think that is something that voters should be concerned about, or if that is uh, something that uh, is more of imaginary than a real concern. Well, I think it is, is pretty much imaginary. Here's, here's the, first of all, the reality is that a state legislature cannot wake up you know, a couple of days after the election and say, you know, we don't like what our voters did. Uh, so we're going to take the right away from them and we're going to select the electors ourselves. That's not permitted. It's not permitted by federal law. Uh, it uh, w- would be laughed out of, of court. Uh, the the con- U.S. Constitution says the state legislature shall determine which manner to use in choosing electors. Every state legislature in this country today and for the last hundred years has said the manner we're going to use is to ask the voters which electors they want and whoever they elect will be our state's electors. And so that's in law that can't be changed after the election because a legislature doesn't like what the voters did. The, the window here, the, the potential for trouble is the a scenario where it is reaching the electoral college deadlines the electors have to be selected by the state and we don't know yet what the voters did they're still counting votes or there are court battles over whether some of the votes that were counted should have been counted and that's the scenario that I think you're referring to where people say, well, if Pennsylvania were really close, if they're still counting all those absentee ballots and battling over them, and there is no certified winner by the time the electoral college is is going to cast its votes, in that circumstance, is it permissible or not for the legislature to step in and say, since the voters didn't do their job, or since 
what they did was inconclusive, um, we are going to take the power back that they didn't exercise and do it ourselves. Again, I think that is highly hypothetical and unlikely. To start with, the Electoral College deadlines, really the, the one that matters isn't until January, which is when Congress counts the electoral votes. Uh, there's a so-called safe harbor, which just means if a state gets its votes in early by December 8th, then they won't be, they can't be challenged in Congress. Then there's the day that the electors are supposed to meet and vote, which is December 12. But votes could come in after that. We have a history of states still counting. In 1960, Hawaii was counting up until early January. And yet it did finish its count and it got its votes to Congress in time for them to be accepted in January before the inaugural. So I think there's a lot of time there for these state processes uh, to to play out and for a winner to be certified by the voters and and not by the state legislature. But But having said that, sure, if it's a really close election and one side can benefit by changing the rules and trying to take the votes away from the voters and give the electors to the legislature, they may well argue for that. Uh, it doesn't mean that it, it'll happen, but we could see in that scenario at least an attempt at it. Wow. Well, I hope it doesn't come to that. It sounds like the chance is hopefully remote. Uh, if our listeners want to find out more about these issues or learn more about the Campaign Legal Center, where should they go? We have a lot of materials on our website. It includes uh, important uh, updated publications on issues like how to uh, react if there's any sort of intimidation on Election Day, if you have questions about your state rules and so forth. So I would say go to our website, which is campaignlegalcenter, all one word, dot org, and you can easily navigate and, and find uh, materials about the election and a number of articles we've written going into uh, the issues that you and I have been talking about today. Well, thank you very much, Trevor. I really appreciate you joining us again. And thank you for all the work you're doing and the Campaign Legal Center is doing in the run-up to the election. Well, thank you for paying attention to these really important issues. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks. Thank, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Topic. Please subscribe to this podcast. Go to your app and review the podcast and join us for our next episode. I'm Renato Mariotti. Until next time, let's stay on topic. Yeah.